0: I don't know if I am the only guy in the world like this. Uh, I have a feeling that actually, I'm very much like most guys in this. And when we get back from the grocery store, for me, it is a personal goal to carry all the bags of the, from the grocery into the house in one trip. Only one trip. I'm sure there are other men out there that like that, Um, and I actually thought about that and I did a little research. I came across an article that, that was entitled why men feel like they have to carry all their groceries inside in one trip. And there was interesting statements that were made from various men. One guy said the fewer trips to and from the garage, the better. Uh, another one said, it's, it's just stubbornness. Uh, it's a manly thing, said another, mostly another guy said, I think it's laziness. Uh, another guy stated bluntly, because we can. Um, there's a, this is a near universal phenomenon uh, of men who are willing to risk their backs, uh, cutting off the circulation in their hands uh, just to not make a second trip back to the car. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for this. The article was talking, some people, it's just simple geometry. This, it's the fastest route from point A to point B, a straight line, one shot uh one trip beats two which otherwise becomes a zig and then a zag another it was a matter of pride Uh, if you don't do it are you really even a man Uh, but what's the real cause of all this Uh, as the heart of it as it may be for you to believe this there has not been in fact this has not been a heavily researched area scientifically Uh, but there are some theories one men are lazy Uh, why make several trips when you can crush six bags in one trick a trip uh sure your uh, loaf of bread is now a bun but you know it can spring back Uh, a second theory is we just want to prove to ourselves or the partner spouse how strong we are uh a a more primal reason might be to ensure that no one else steals our hard-earned food out in the garage or out in the parking lot um and another theory was guys will create competition where there isn't any competition. Uh, they just create competition for themselves. We, we find ourselves in scenarios where we wanna challenge ourselves to pit ourselves against other people when it's completely unnecessary to do so. Whatever your reasons for this, I think for most men, um, it's can I do it? Can I do it? And this leads us to relentlessly trying to prove to ourselves, I may not be able to climb Mount Everest, but you know what? I can bring in four boxes from Costco in one trip. So when I do that, here's how I feel. I feel like this, when you carry all 47 bags of grocery from the cart in one, in one go. What I actually look like is more like this kind of slightly insane, uh, slightly out of sorts geek. But anyway, we all want to do it, so many of us. Um, And that brings me to my message today. Sometimes, in our zeal, to do that one thing very well, sometimes something else gets dropped or damaged or forgotten. And today, those things, those two things that we want to keep hold of in our trip through life is truth and love. Come with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation. We are making our way through this amazing last book of the Bible, which is a, a, uh, a prophecy. It's a revelation and uncovering and unveiling of what Jesus wants for us to know about this life and the future and the life to come. Uh, We've talked about Revelation chapter 1. It's a blessing to believers. It reveals the coming of Jesus. And then, Jesus, from a couple of weeks ago, he appears in a vision to the Apostle John, who has been exiled, who has been uh, banished to the island of Patmos. And he appears in this magnificent vision, the stunning resurrected Christ, which we looked at last Easter uh, uh, on Easter as well. and, and Jesus uh, just appears in all of his glory, and he's got a message, and he, he's, he's the risen Christ. And so we come to this message ready to go, and we come to now the next two chapters, and the next seven messages plus will be about the letters to the seven churches of the book of Revelation. So I want to just start with the one in Ephesus. We'll get to the rest in a minute. But uh, uh, we'll get to others later. But um, Ephesus was an incredible place uh, where Jesus brings this letter to through the Apostle John. And he, he writes in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Somehow there's a messenger there or there's a guardian angel or something that is going to communicate this message from Jesus to John, to the angel, to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. It was the most important city in that entire Asia Minor region in the the ancient world. In every respect, travel, trade, tourism, politics, and religion, it was extremely powerful and the leading city. It had striking architecture. It was a city that prior to the entry of the gospel was filled with occult Worship with paganism, with darkness, with dark practices, spiritual forces at work, pagan worship featuring sacrifices to all sorts of various gods, god, goddesses, false deities, frenzied worship involving priests and priestesses and temple prostitutes. Emperor worship, the emperor claiming himself to be God or viewed as a God, was very important in the city of Ephesus. In fact, by the time of the writing of the book of Revelation, there were two entire temples devoted to the worship of the emperor. And into this culture, which I have described to you, came Priscilla and Aquila, joined by Apollos, and they brought the pure news of Jesus Christ, his life, his person, God in human flesh, his miracles, his, his death on the cross, his sacrifice for our sins, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension into heaven, his coming again. It was all shared in this primarily pagan context. And people came to Jesus in the droves. Eventually the apostle Paul visits there on his missionary journeys. And then Timothy comes, and Timothy actually becomes the leader of the church at Ephesus. Eventually, according to reliable tradition, Timothy is actually martyred there at Ephesus, speaking the gospel in the midst of this city, this pagan city. And eventually, according to strong, reliable tradition, the apostle John himself came to be the leader of the church at Ephesus, joined by one that Jesus had asked him to take care of, the mother of Jesus, Mary herself. And uh, it is believed that she was buried in Ephesus. And the gospel of Jesus transformed many people in this amazing city and they were loving one another, and the gospel truth and their genuine love was winning people from these dark backgrounds, these occult practices, to faith in Jesus. So much so that the idol sales uh, uh, among the craftsmen had dropped, and it was a threat, and there was a riot, and Paul had to leave town. And then later, five years later, he writes the letter to the Ephesians, and we get all these themes that come through, and you can read it there, of darkness, and light, and resurrection, and hope, and love among the people, and unity in the church and the spirit of God at work and fighting with the forces of darkness and bringing Jewish people and Gentiles together in unity and grace and grace and love it was all over the place in this amazing letter and Ephesus became a center the perhaps major center for the gospel and the spread of Christianity in those early years it was an amazing church But when we come to the book of Revelation, 40 years has passed. The Apostle John is on Patmos, having been the leader there, and he has been banished there by the emperor, and he's writing back to the churches. Jesus has called him to do so. So this isn't really a letter from John as it is a vision and a letter and a message from Jesus through John. And he writes this letter. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one, this is Jesus, who holds the seven stars in his right hand as ruler of the angels and who walks among the seven golden lampstands, which are symbolic of these seven churches that were to be light in their communities and to represent God there. Now, each of the seven letters, guys, is gonna follow a very similar pattern and structure. You're going to get the address to the specific church. Here it's going to be Ephesus. And then Jesus will say who he is, and he will highlight some trait of his from the vision of chapter one. Here it's holding the seven stars and walking them on the lampstands. Then you're going to get the positives that Jesus has to say about the church, the praiseworthy aspects. Then usually you're going to get some problems that he needs to address, some negatives that are happening there. Then you're going to get steps needed to solve the problem. And then the consequences, if they disregard this counsel from Jesus, and then the promises for those who overcome by following Jesus. And this is going to happen for all seven churches. And here they are. It starts at Ephesus and it will go to all seven of these churches in the uh, trade route that was established. That was the reason for the order of the seven. So we begin here with Ephesus, and Jesus is walking among them, among the lampstands, and he comes to Ephesus. And here's what he says. First, he addresses the positives. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance. This church seems great, seems healthy. It's full of energy, it's serving. They're sweating for Jesus. They're laboring, the words there, your works, your labor. They're busy, they're serving. And it says your endurance, there was this courageous perseverance in the face of all sorts of opposition from the surrounding culture. Good for you. And there's another way that they are impressive. He says that you cannot tolerate evil people. I know this about you. He says you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not true apostles, emissaries, messengers, missionaries from Jesus. And you have found them to be liars. They're false Teachers. Ephesus was an important place, so it was a magnet for false teachers and heretics and charlatans. And these false teachers not only denied key teachings of who Jesus is and what he did, but also promoted a sort of Christian freedom, they called it, uh, meaning including sexual immorality and morally destructive, unhealthy lifestyles and embracing of the many practices that they had walked out of the darkness and come into the light, but they were bringing them back to it. And he commends this. He says, you don't tolerate evil people. He's not talking about ordinary citizens that are non-Christians. He's talking about people that are imposters who are false teachers. They're, they're spreading evil and lies and leading people astray. And, and really what they had was, I, I just want to demonstrate to you today. Um, so this is some. Uh, it's a slab of, uh, of bologna, right there. And, uh, and, and he says, good for you, because you have a baloney detector, right? And you get closer and closer, and you are very good at detecting false teaching. You're really great at this. Good for you. We need that. All right? He says, you're really great at, de- at doctrinally staying pure, on target. You knew the truth, and you detected errors when they came. He says, verse three, I know that you've persevered. It's been tough sledding. I know you've endured hardships. There have been some really tough things you've gone through. Not just general human hardships, but hardships for being followers of Jesus. And for, you've done this for the sake of my name. They did it for Christ. They did it for Jesus. That's why they endured all this. And you have not grown weary. You, you haven't become exhausted. In all this, You've toughed it out. You haven't thrown in the town. You haven't caved to the pressure of the culture. You've held on to the truth. And some people might wilt under that kind of pressure, but not you, Ephesus. No, you didn't do it. You've done it for my name's sake, for Jesus. Here's the first principle for today. It is good to believe the truth, to live out the truth, and to discern the core truths of the gospel. To have that kind of baloney detector. Yeah, you, you, you had that. Good for you. That's really great. Good, good, good. You get credit for that. That's awesome. And this is true in our day. We need to be able to discern truth from error. We need to believe the good news, believe the scriptures, and embrace Jesus. And follow him when it's tough and stay true to him when there's pressures against us in the culture. All Those are all true and important and good, and we need that to hear that now a lot. And there'll be more of that to come in some of these other letters. But he moves on from this, because that's a great place, and that's a good foundation, and that's excellent. But then he comes with a pretty extraordinarily bold word of challenge, and actually really pointing out a major fatal flaw in the church. This church seems great, seems doctrinally sound, seems like they're serving and sweating and doing all this stuff for Jesus and staying true to the faith and detecting the baloney when, it, when, when, it, it's, it's, when they hear it. But it's got a major, major problem that threatens the very life of this church. And here it is, verse 4. But... I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You've abandoned your first love. It's epic fail at this point. Thud. This is a very serious issue. And you'll hear more how serious it is as we go through this passage. Some people can relate to this the love that they had for Christ, the love that they had for one another, the love they had for the gospel, the love they had for their neighbors that won them all over, so many of them over. He said, you've abandoned it. Some people will say, you know, I I feel like I've lost my love for God or I lost my love for people. But here he says, you didn't lose your love. You abandoned it. You've forsaken it you walked out on it. This was something that you did. You don't lose the love, you leave the love, he says. And what seems like was happening is that he said he's saying you don't really love anything like you did in the early days. And he's looking back, Jesus is looking back to those early days 40 years before, and the vibrancy the energy, the centrality of Jesus to their lives, the thanksgiving they had for pulling, him, for pulling them out of the darkness into the light, the love, the genuine, sincere love they just had for everybody, the quick-to-forgive love they had for everybody, the love that they had for people inside the church and even spiritual outsiders was just overflowing. It was so filled up. He says, it's gone. You walked out on all that. Perhaps in their zeal to stay true, stay pure, stay doctrinally sound, to get it all right, to hold on to the truth, to be against error, they had abandoned the love that had so marked their lives in an earlier time. And he says in verse 5, Remember then how far you've fallen. It's like they were on the mountaintop and they just tumbled down the side of the mountain. The height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Go back, go back. So it's good to believe, it's good to live out, it's good to discern the good core truths of the gospel, but the question is, is your heart filled with love? Theologically, doctrinally, they were thick, but their passion, their love is thin. Their heart for God is very thin, barely hanging on. Perhaps different ways is looked in, in their lives and maybe in ours. Maybe there's some of us today, some of you who are, who are listening right now. Maybe your, your love for Jesus, your love for God, your love for the word, your love for the gospel, your love for other people has become cold. Maybe at one point it was more, young and and passionate and good and energetic, but now it's grown cold and apathetic and formal and indifferent. They they had lost their vital connection, daily connection to Jesus. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You have to have that vital connection to me. They were all orthodox and correct and believed the right things, but it's Coke without the fizz. It's kind of dead. It's kind of lifeless. Maybe we forget in all of our service and in our busyness and in our sincere desire to remain true and get it right doctrinally, we forget that this was all supposed to be about Jesus, about our connection to him. And we've lost the thanksgiving and the joy in the heart that was there. Maybe for some it's, You've become toward other people in your life. Maybe it's even your own family, maybe a spouse, maybe friends, maybe people within the church, maybe it's people outside the church, spiritual outsiders, and you've become in your zeal to stay true and to hold to your values and and say, this is important. We need to believe this, people. You've become unloving, suspicious, overly critical, condemning, tribal, narrow, Maybe you've become just really harsh. You're, you're like, you're spring-loaded to critique at the first impulse. And your first reaction is to say, what's wrong with that? And to correct and to criticize and to find fault. You're ready to cancel people out of, out of your approval and out of your life. Maybe you've become thin-skinned and irritable, easily angered, easily triggered, Maybe now there's a tendency to view things with a negativity filter. Everybody gets attacked with the baloney filter, everybody. And there's no longer a compassion filter on anything or toward anyone. We've, sometimes we can do this. Sometimes we can become truth junkies who just ignore compassion and heart for God, for anybody else. Maybe, maybe there's somebody out there today and you just, you, you, you've just gotten frustrated and bitter and burned out on everything. Maybe you're burned out on, on the church even. You still believe all the right things. You're still devoted in some shape. Maybe you're still serving even. But you've checked out in your heart. It's like, my heart's not in it. You're along for the ride. It's not there. You're doing the right things, but maybe not for the wrong, right reasons anymore. There, there are people who are, many in our culture, who've walked out of the church even. They, they, they've rejected the faith because they've seen things they haven't liked, which I get. And they've seen things that are imperfect and flawed and it went too political or it got aligned with this or it was just hypocritical or it's about money or whatever it was that turned them off or you off and you've walked away, you've lost your love, but it's about Jesus. And Jesus didn't walk out on you. And the church though imperfect is still the bride of Christ, still the body of Christ. And you know, this can happen, not just in our relationship with God, but it can happen in any kind of relationships. It can happen in marriages. It can happen in families. It can happen between parents and their children where once there was a vital connection and now it's duty and obligation and busyness and the spark's gone and the love's gone and it's just stale and you're not even sure what you're doing. I remember hearing a very prominent Christian leader about 10 years ago taking a break from ministry because he said, and I'll summarize what he said. Uh, he said, our marriage, our marriage with his wife is rock solid. But then he added, I found out that rock solid isn't always an emotionally satisfying metaphor for my wife. You know, I, when I heard that, I, I thought of the, the, the old you know, Chevy commercials. Just listen to the lyrics of this well, like commercial for one. Chevy trucks. I go out. I was strong as I could be. I like go around. Nothing ever got to me. I like go around. I was something to see like a rock, as strong as I could be. I had it right, I got it right, I was devoted. But that's great in a truck, but solid rock is maybe not the best description of love. Motives matter to God, and this is to be a personal living connection. And where maybe for the church at Ephesus and maybe for somebody out there, where's all this theological and biblical knowledge and discernment coming from? A heart for, of God, for God and for Jesus? Or is it wanting to be right? Or just getting mad because of what's happened? Why are you pursuing the truth? What's the end game here? What are we trying to accomplish to, to bring change and to bring, you know, life change? What brought it? to Ephesus was not just a truckload of truth. It was truth and love. And we gotta have them both. And if we're just so devoted to carrying in all the truth stuff, we're dropping and smashing love in the process, that's a problem. What's, is your love showing to the people around you? Is your love showing to God? Is it genuinely, deeply heartfelt? Is it visible? Is it obvious now? Because Christianity without love is an imposter. It's not real Christianity. It's empty Christianity. It's soulless Christianity. It's Christianity without a heart for God or for others. And that's not the genuine article anymore. That's not real Christianity. That might be truth, but it's not the whole picture of what we need. So today is a great day, this letter to the church, which is so strong, is a great day just to take a moment, if you will, personal inventory. How's my love for God? How's my love for God? It doesn't have to be all emotional, it doesn't have to be like you're, you know, just feeling all sorts of things, but is there a devotion to God? Is there a a remaining relationship with Him? Is there a desire to follow him in your heart, from your heart? How's your love for other people around you? How's your love for the people in your family and in your, with your friends and with your life group? Truth is important, but we need love too. How about your kids? How about for spiritual outsiders, people in your workplace, people in the culture, even your enemies? Jesus said, love your enemies. Yes, stand for truth. Don't back down. Don't compromise. Hold on. Get out the baloney detector. Do all that. But love your enemies. Pray for them. Bless them. Bless and do not curse them. Love them. Paul said it this way. Never be lacking in zeal, that passion. But keep your spiritual fervor. Keep it hot serving the Lord. It's, that's been a passage that's been so important for me in my life. I've had to come back to that again and again and again. Is that really true in my life? And today is a great day for me and for all of us to take inventory and say, how is my love? You know, most of us are not going to become heretics. Probably not going to happen. But for some people, that some people might. But And we need to be careful that we're not swallowed alive by falsehood, which can easily happen. But a weakness for some is going to be that love component. He says, again, repeating verse five, remember then how far you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Okay, here's, here's the principle here. The ascent back to first love to where it all started. It's back up the mountain. You've fallen along the, the side of it. It's really three Rs. He says, remember, repent, and renew. It's really is a come to Jesus moment. And for some, it's gonna be really uh, breathtaking and important and it's radical moment. For some of us, it may not be as severe or as strong, but it's just a, 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 a vector change. It's like, yeah, good reminder. We, we all just need these reminders. And that's why I love the book of Revelation, just great reminders. So for some, it may be a radical change. For others, it may be a gentle turn, a tweak, a vector change. First is remember. Remember how far you've fallen. For some, you haven't fallen away from the faith. You've just fallen down the mountain a long way. Remember, he says, when you used to. He, it's almost like like uh, a marriage, which the church is the bride of Christ. And remember when we first connected and the, the, the love, you'd do anything for this person that you loved. You'd do anything for God. You wanted to follow. You wanted to express your appreciation. You wanted to uh, share thanks. You wanted to spend time together. Remember? Remember when you forgave really people really easily because you were so touched by the love of God in your heart and what He'd done for you that you just wanted to extend that to other people? Remember when serving was a joy? Remember when, when um, sharing your faith was just natural and it, it flowed out of a heart, not out of correction or debate, but just out of a heart of love for people. You just loved them. He says, keep on remembering that. In fact, it's, 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 take a picture. Take, here's a selfie you're allowed in the Bible. Okay. Take a selfie of your past. Remember that. Remember that moment and look back. Hold on to that image. Remember, because that really springs you to the, the future. He says, repent. That's the second R. Change your mind about this. Change your heart. And that remembering oftentimes stirs in us a longing to change, to turn, to to say, I want to go in a different direction, whether it's radical or, or vector change. I think there's some believers who need just a good cry over how far they've fallen from where they used to be. I mean, there used to be a passion for God. There used to be a commitment and and an affection toward other believers, to a family member or whatever, to outsiders. And and it's like, wow, can we just mourn over the loss of this and change our minds about this? And today, just very honestly, I don't know who I'm going to how this message is going to land with different people. But there are some marriages. There are some parents. There are some kids. There are some young adults. There are some boomers and builders and millennials and Gen Xers and Gen Yers and all the other gens. And it's just a good day to say maybe today's a day to change my mind. And ask God to change my heart. There's some life groups, honestly. Um... You, you've lost your, your first love. You had it at the beginning. And today is a great day to say, you know what? Let's get back to really loving each other deeply from the heart. Let's forgive freely. Let's, let's pray for each other. Let's serve each other. Let's, let's really do that. Let's decide. That requires humility and a teachable heart. Are you really teachable about this? Or is your mind made up about this person or that thing or whatever? And are you willing to listen and be changed? And maybe you're not feeling it even toward God. That's okay. It's okay to tell God, this is how I'm feeling. And would you just stir in me a new day? Would you stir in me a a heart of love for you? Or maybe I've never known you and I just need to know you in a personal way that I haven't before. Um, and you just begin to pray that. Just have a conversation. That's, that's a step in the right direction. Good for you if you're willing to do that. That's just having a teachable heart. That's just saying, I want to go in the right direction. We're changing, turning toward God and just saying, show up, God. Do something in my heart. And then renew. The third R is renew. He says, do the works that you did at first. I could have used many words starting with renew or with an R. Renew, regain, resume, recover, repeat. And it's interesting that he says, do the works um, you did at the beginning at first. He doesn't say, have the feelings you had at first. He says, do the works. So get plugged back in, re-engage. Maybe it's just starting to do something. If you're not feeling it, start to pray again, start to worship, start to to open God's word, talk to God about what matters to him, and talk to God openly and honestly. Seize opportunities for communing with Jesus when they're made available to you. Even if the feelings aren't there, start doing the right thing. That applies to your relationship with God and with other people. Start forgiving people more quickly. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Be merciful. Be kind. Be gentle to the people around you. Say kind words of encouragement, even when you don't initially feel like it. The feelings oftentimes will follow. Become generous again with your time. Become generous again with your resources. Hit the refresh button. Reboot the marriage. Set a new moment for your family, for your friendships. Restart your life group. Renew it. Seek God for that renewal. And you know, it just occurred to me as I went through this, maybe we all need to become children again. Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes we just need to re-enter the room, like a little kid, in worship, and we're not critically cr- judging everything. Just you enter in and just take it in, and trust God to show up. Maybe you come to a, a class or a course or a life group, and you just have an open heart that trusts God's going to show up, going to take care of you. And I've just seen little children just be able to in their in their trusting heart to be able to give people the benefit of the doubt that we won't. Maybe we need to come more like kids. And then he says, the words of warning here is, otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He says, if things don't change, there's trouble. You're actually going to lose the life of your church. I'm going to come and when you lose love, you're no longer a Christian church. And I'm going to remove that lampstand. That's a severe Warning, obviously, to a church that was apparently really in, in some danger here. Here's the principle I take from this. If you leave your love, you'll eventually lose your light. If you leave your love, if you leave what you had at first, you'll lose your light and influence. Your life, the life will be gone from it. The lampstand removed from that church. The light of influence and impact will be lost. Here was a great church that had Paul, April, a, a Aquila, Apollos, Paul, Timothy, John, Mary. The good news is apparently they took this message to heart because after John came a leader named Ignatius, and he wrote a letter to the um, this church in the first uh, or uh, first centuries uh, or early part of the second century, and he says um, he says. Uh, when you come together, the powers of Satan are destroyed and his destructive forces annihilated by the gathering together of your faith. He commends them for coming back together in love. And he says, Pray continually for the rest of humanity as well, that they may find God, for there is in them a hope for repentance. Do you still believe that about the world, that there's hope for repentance, that God could bring renewal? Now, this happened, and they had turned it around in Ephesus. Sadly, centuries later, this church did die. And today, there is no city of Ephesus. It doesn't even exist anymore. And sadly, there are virtually no Christians in the entire region in modern-day Turkey. So it's a serious, cautionary tale for all of us. And then he goes back to them, and he says, as we kind of wrap it up here, he says, yeah, you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans which I also hate. (laughs) So he says, love is great, but I got to give you credit for this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. I hate them too. Jesus hates their practices. We don't know much about the Nicolaitans, but it seems to have been a moment from within uh, a movement from within the church, not cultural, but within the church, false teachers who combine three harmful things. They said, we've got a new and improved Christian beliefs. So we reject the uh, that what's been taught in the scriptures, and we introduce new beliefs that are contrary to scripture. Secondly, we're okay with immorality. In fact, it's not even immorality. It's just you being you. God doesn't care about any of that. Why? It might even help you to become more spiritual if you would embrace that immorality. And thirdly, they encouraged combining cultural idols with the Christian faith. They said, let's not draw any boundaries about what we believe in practice versus what the culture does. Let's combine them. Let's okay to mix them all together and all be great. And Jesus said, I got to give you this. You, you may be, have unloving, but you still, got, you still have your baloney detector and that's okay. Here's the principle. Loving people does not mean, does not equal endorsement of falsehood or evil. Some people have let this pendulum swing so much that they're, they're not truth junkies. They're love junkies. And they've forgotten their baloney detector entirely. So as one person said, don't be so open-minded your brains fall out. Don't let the pendulum swings clear out of whack. We need to maintain discernment. A lot of times guys, you'll hear me say major on the majors. Be careful when you hear that, because some of us, some of you might only hear it one way. When I say major on the majors, you might hear don't get sidetracked by minor secondary issues. And that is certainly what we intend by saying that. But there's also a positive statement, and that is we major on the majors. The major core truths of the faith are important to us. We dare not let go of them. And what Christians have believed and taught for a couple of millennia, we need to hold firmly to without apology. With love and kindness and gentleness and respect in everything we do, but we still need to hold on to that. So love for God and actually really hating what's evil can coexist. We just need to make sure that our standing for truth doesn't become destructive to people and hateful towards people around us. And then he says, verse seven, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He says to a church that was theologically centered, doctrinally pure, but who needed to learn how to love God again and others in a fresh, new, and deep way, he says, here's a promise for you. If you'll come back to that first love, I have to offer you not a library of books, but a garden of delights takes us back to the book of Genesis and says, this is the future I have for you, where you'll be, your hungers and longings of your soul will be satisfied with delicious and life-giving fruit in a place to walk with God in beauty and in fruitfulness and in closeness, paradise itself in the age to come. Ascending back to your first love is gonna be challenging, he says. Climbing back with the strength and grace of God, it's a hike. For some but he's saying it won't be easy but it will be worth it can you all pray with me Father God we all need constant reminders and this very striking and compelling letter to this once great church that had lost love but held on to truth Help us to just take hold of both and say they're both so important. To hold on to truth, to maintain integrity in our faith, but at the same time to keep that close connection to you, to love you from our hearts, and to love others deeply, both inside and outside the church of Jesus. Father, this this letter hits all of us in different ways. And my prayer is that all of us will do what you said to do. Listen to what the Spirit says. And that we will hear your voice, your Holy Spirit, speaking through your word today. And everybody agreed and said, Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you all. And um, thanks for joining us.